Matthew chapter 2, and we're beginning in verse number 1 here, but before we do, let me just give a little bit of an introduction. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan and his demons are very powerful. And before his rebellion, Satan had been Lucifer, a mighty angel in heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, let me just read those verses to you. And if you don't have them marked in your Bible, you might want to mark them just so that you can find them once again. But in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, it describes what has to be the the fall of Satan. It doesn't fit any other context. It says in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. And we find another description of Satan's fall uh, in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. You can have a look at that as well. And, and if you don't have that marked, it's another good place to mark. Ezekiel chapter 28. And look at verses 12 to 17. Begin with verse number 12 of Ezekiel 28. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, I know it's addressed to the king of Tyrus, but yet when you read the context, it can't fit a human being. And we'll see why. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Doesn't fit anybody but Satan. Very, uh, every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis and the topaz and the diamond and the beryl and the onyx and the jasper and the sapphire and the emerald and the carbuncle and gold and the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou Hast been the, uh, thou art the anointed cherub, again indicating an angel. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I uh, have set thee so. Wast, uh, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and <clears throat> thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the days of thou, that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. And the, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the uh, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because thy beauty of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will slay thee before kings, that thou mayest behold, that they may behold thee. Now, these descriptions that fit the description of the devil um, are, give us information about him that is not specifically stated, but yet it doesn't fit anybody else. Who else was a cherub, anointed cherub? Who else was beautiful beyond description? Who else was in the Garden of Eden? Uh, and it, it fits the description of Satan and, the, and then his fall there in Isaiah. And as we think about this, though he lacks 
unlimited abilities of God, he obviously knows far more than we do. And he is very powerful, far more powerful than humans. Being a spirit, he moves with great speed. And he has thousands, probably millions of fallen angels that assist him in his plots to foil God's will in our lives, in the lives of men. And the whole world lies in his power, 1 John 5:19. He is the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12:10. He seeks to devour God's children, 1 Peter 5:8. Because Christ of because of Christ's incarnation, his death and resurrection, Satan is a defeated foe, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And he is awaiting his final doom after the millennium in Revelation 20, verse 10. Now, this is just a little bit of information about Satan. We're going to be talking about Satan tonight, but I wanted us to make sure that we have a, a, a basic understanding of who he is and what he was like. And this evening, I want us to notice three events in Scripture that reveal Satan's view of the incarnation. Three events. Number one, we find here in Matthew chapter 2. And that is that he tried to kill baby Jesus. Now, there's nothing in this passage that specifically says it was the devil behind all this. But when you look at the plot that Herod devised, it was a devilish plot. And it was certainly a plot that the devil was had a, a hand in. And we see in verse number 1, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, as we ponder this here, these wise men came from the east and uh, they were led to Jerusalem by a unique star. We don't know anything about this, but they came looking for him that was born king of the Jews. Now, how did wise men in the east find out about some kind of a star that would lead them to think that there was a king of the Jews there. One possibility is that they may have been, you, you stop and think, who was it that might have known anything about God and, and Bible things that lived in the east? Well, the east of there was Babylon. That's where the Jews had spent 70 years in captivity. Now, did all of the Jews return to Israel? No. Many of them stayed in Babylon and never did return. And it could be that they still had the scriptures there. It could be that they, using those scriptures, they had studied the scriptures, and then God used that among some of these that were wise and, and of the Jewish ancestors that were there in Babylon. And they, it could have been, I don't know, but somehow over there in the east, someone followed the star because God had directed them that this was going to lead them to the king of the Jews. And it says there that Herod was troubled by this. And he, he was, he, you know, it is said that he was called, Herod himself was called the king of the Jews. And he didn't want any competition. And he didn't want to, this, whoever this was that was born to be his competition. Now, I don't know how old Herod was at this time, but he only lived a few years after this event. So whether God took him home, or not home, but took his life, whether God took his life um, prematurely or whether he was an elderly man. If he was an elderly man, it's kind of foolish to be getting shook up about some baby that's you know, going to be king of the Jews unless you think he's going to conquer the world when he's a baby. 
But nonetheless, he was troubled by this. And it, uh, he, the word troubled there actually refers to being agitated or stirred up or anxious or distressed. It's the same, same idea as what Mary felt in her heart this morning. We looked at that. So there was an agitation or an anxiousness or a distress. And it says that not only did Herod, um, was he distressed by this, but all Jerusalem with him. Now I wondered, why would Jerusalem, why would all the people of Jerusalem be agitated or shook up or anxious or distressed over men coming in that were wealthy, we assume, they had wealthy presence, looking for the king of the Jews. It's possible, because the word doesn't necessarily mean angry or of that nature, it's possible that they were distressed or stirred up thinking, could it possibly be that the Messiah is born? Is that possible? I mean, that's a possibility. But they were all riled up because of this, because of the coming of these wise men. Now, evidently, Herod knew or was told of the promise of the king of the Jews and that it could be none other than the Messiah. He knew that. And that's why he mentions, you see down in verse number 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes together, he demanded of them where, what? Christ should be born. Where Christ should be born. So he knew, the word Christ, remember, is the New Testament word for Messiah. He says, where is this Messiah born? And so he was aware of that. And so we, we see here that uh, he was not ignorant of that, and perhaps someone told him, someone may have warned him, I don't know, but he uh, was aware of that, and he went and he sought from the scribes and the, uh, the, and the priests, where is this to be born? And what did they quote him? They quoted him Micah 5.2. They quoted him Micah 5.2, there in verse number 6, but thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now that's not a direct quote, but it's a, a close paraphrase. So they, they told him where it would be. And so Herod in his plot, in his evil sinister mind, he's thinking, how can I get rid of that little kid? How can I get rid of that king of the Jews? Somehow I've got to get rid of him. And so he thought of this idea, all right, I'll have these wise men go, I'll tell them, you know, that uh, I want to worship him too. And so they say that he's supposed to be in Bethlehem, you go find him, and then you come back and tell me where he is, and I'll come and worship him. Now, Bethlehem wasn't a big metropolis. It was a little town. And it makes you wonder why he didn't just send some soldiers over there right away and say, hey, where's this king of the Jews? I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't be able to find him. He's just hidden among all the peoples of the people. Uh, but we find here that he tells the wise men to go and do this uh, uh, errand for him. Now, several thoughts crossed my mind as I was pondering over this. Though Satan was against the Christ child and used deceitful tactics to locate him, he is limited in his understanding. Now, Either he did not know where Christ was, or God did not allow him to tell anybody. So if the devil knew where Christ was in Bethlehem, he could have told someone specifically where he was, or told Herod specifically where he was, but he didn't. So either he did not know, 
And God had held that information back or he, God limited and wouldn't let him do that. And we see that taking place in the book of Job where Satan was very limited by God. He had asked God permission before he could do certain things. And that is an encouragement to us because sometimes we, people tend to blame the devil maybe do it or the devil did this. Well, the devil's not omniscient and the devil is not all powerful. He is limited by God. And he is our enemy, no question about it, but God limits what he can do. And that's an encouragement. And we should, you know, when the devil is after us, what should we do? We should submit to God or the Holy Spirit. Remember there in James 4, 7? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. See, it's once we submit to God, we can resist the devil and then God says that he will flee from us. And so the devil is our enemy out there. He was the enemy then, but he was limited in what he knew. And we're going to see some more of that as we work our way through. Now, the devil evidently stirred up Herod to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And we're not going to really focus our attention on the whole story. We're aware of the story of what took place. The wise men then went to Bethlehem. They found baby Jesus, and they offered the gifts that they had brought for him. And uh, then down in verse number 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So God warned them in a dream, don't return to Herod, go back another way. And then in verse 13, and when they were departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph. And he talks to Joseph, we'll get to that in just a moment. But then down in verse 16, then Herod when he saw that they had mocked, um, he was mocked of the, of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, right, so all the surrounding areas around Bethlehem, uh, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So he diligently inquired from these wise men, when did you see this star? When did it start? They ask him all kinds of questions. And so he's assuming that, evidently, that when the star appeared was when Christ was born. And so based on that, he's assuming then that the baby couldn't have been more than two years old, probably not nearly that old, or he, you know, he probably raised the limit to make sure he didn't miss him. Um, but we know that Christ was under two years old at this time. Now, could have been much under two years old. We don't know. Um, it's, we know that he was older than uh, the, the initial, I mean, he was more than eight, years, eight days old because he had already been named. We know that it was past the 40 days of her purification. He had already been to the temple and gone back to Bethlehem. And so we know it was past that. And why they went back to Bethlehem instead of going back to Nazareth, God knows, I don't know. Uh, you'd think that, you know, they'd... Well, who knows? Maybe they were still waiting in line for the census thing. I mean, who knows how long that took. Um, but they went back to Bethlehem instead of going back to Nazareth, and they're there. And how long they've been there, we don't know. But they've been there in, 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 in Nazareth. They're sorry, in Bethlehem. Garrett, would you shut that back door so the birds don't compete with me? Um, and then we find here that Herod then sends out and kills all these babies, and uh, because he feels mocked by them. Now, as we think about this, did Satan know that Joseph and Mary uh, took 
the, uh, Jesus down to Egypt? Maybe. Maybe not. It depends on how much information God gives him. But if he did know that, G- that Joseph and Mary took Jesus down to Egypt, he didn't pursue them. He didn't, you know, he didn't give that information to Herod. He didn't give the information to anybody else. We don't know. Did God, again, limit his information? We don't know. But one thing we do know is that Joseph and Mary were listening to God and obeying God's commands. We see that in verse number um, 13 there. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there, uh, be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child's uh, seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. I highlighted those words in my Bible by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So, God sent them to Egypt for protection. And Satan didn't pursue them in Egypt. Maybe he didn't know where they were. God could have limited that information to him. Or God could have made it so Satan couldn't do that. Couldn't touch them down there. We don't know those kind of things. But it's an encouragement to us. And that should give us great encouragement that, you know, that uh, as we listen and obey God's word, that we can be protected and that God can help us. Remember God said there in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So God tells us we're to be sober and vigilant or stay awake and be ready. And if we'll do that, God says that we can avoid that. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts as war against the soul. And again, if we will obey God and abstain from those things, we can have victory. And Satan can't get us to do things that are wrong and intervene in doing or wrong in things in our lives to hurt us or harm us or, or get us out of, out of the line. Now, so we see here that the first event here is that he tried to kill baby Jesus. But then we find in Matthew chapter 4, flip a page over in your Bible, Matthew chapter 4, that another thing that Satan did was to tempt Jesus to sin. During his incarnation here, Jesus is on earth, he's the God-man, and Satan knew that if he could get Jesus to sin, he would succeed in spoiling the purpose of the incarnation. And if Jesus sinned, he could not pay for our debt of sin. Because he would be a sinner. And so Satan tried to get him to sin. And he tempted him in three ways. We talked about one of those today in our quiz. But the first way that he tempted Jesus was with selfishness. Matthew chapter 4 and look at verse number 3. Verse number 3 says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones that uh, that these stones be made bread. All right, now, Satan was not ignorant of the fact that Jesus was God. And the word if there, if you look into a technical diction, or a technical commentary, they will tell you that it's a first class um, conditional statement in the Greek, which can be, if it's in that kind of a situation, it means since, not necessarily if. He wasn't questioning, he wasn't saying, if you're really God, he knew he was God. 
but because the father had already said, look up at verse number 17 in the previous chapter. It was during Jesus' baptism. And verse 17 says, in a low voice from heaven, uh, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Satan says, if you be the son of God, command these stones to give me bread. So he's mocking him. He's not saying, I don't know whether you really are or not. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, yeah, you, since you say you're the son of God, and then turn these stones into bread mockingly doing that. Now, we ask ourselves, why didn't Jesus do that? I mean, he was hungry. I mean, I'd be hungry after 40 days of not eating, that's for sure. I'd be mighty hungry. And Jesus was too. Why didn't he turn those stones into bread? Well, I believe there's good reasons for that. In that no other man could turn stones to bread. Jesus was not going to use his divine power to do something to meet his needs or to make life easy for himself. And instead, he was going to obey and trust the word of God. And that's why he quoted from Deuteronomy 8 and verse number 3. And here, Deuteronomy 8, 3, he's quoting and he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth, out of the mouth of God. Right? It's the word of God that directs us. It's the word of God that keeps us uh, strong and provides for us and meets our needs. So we need to depend upon God's word. God's word can keep us strong. So he tempted him with selfishness to go ahead and do this because it will meet your need. Secondly, he tempted Jesus to show off. And verse number 5, he says there, Then the devil taketh him up to the, uh, to the holy city and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple. Now the pinnacle of the temple, nobody knows exactly what this is referring to. The word pinnacle refers to a wing. And uh, so exactly what it was talking about, but it was at the top of the temple. Now the temple was high. It was very high. And some say that the temple was right along the edge of the, the wall of Jerusalem. If that was the case, it would overlook the Kidron Valley. And they said that the, the height from the top of the temple to the bottom of the Kidron Valley, there's different opinions. One guy said it was over 400 feet. The other one said it was about over 200 feet. But it was a long way down, whatever way you want to look at it. It's a long way down. And so the temptation was there for Jesus to then jump off And as he jumps off, Satan then misquotes the Bible from Psalm 91 and says, God's going to send his angels and he'll catch you before you hit the bottom. And think of what everybody will say. They'll see you coming floating down and the angels come and rescue you and you're going to become famous and it's going to be, it's going, you're going to be a hero. And there's going to be this idea of trying to appeal to him to, to show off in front of the people. And what did Jesus do? In verse number 7, Jesus again quoted scripture. says, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Alright? Now he was not saying, Don't tempt me. He was saying, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He was saying, If I did that, I would be tempting God. I would be Getting God to do something, you know, doing something purposely to get God to show his power. And that's not right. You know, God doesn't want us to do bad things to say, well, you know, God said he's going to take care of me, so I'm going to go ahead and jump off and God will take care of me. No, that's not what we ought to do. Uh, and Jesus told, refused to do that, and he quoted there in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 16, that time. All right, so the first one was Deuteronomy 8.3. This one's Deuteronomy 6.16. Now, the third time he's tempted, he's tempted to take a shortcut. All right, look at verse number, um, verse number 8. 
Again, the devil taketh him up unto the, an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, the scriptures tell us that Satan is the god of this world. And he rightfully was offering something to Jesus that he had. He said, you can be the king of the world if you will fall down and worship me. Now, that doesn't make any good sense when you really stop and think about it. If he's falling down and worshiping him, he's still admitting that he's bigger than he is. But he said, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. You can be the king over the world. It's a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do these things you're going to do to be able to come be the king of the world. You can have it now. A shortcut. And Jesus refused. And once again, he rebuked Satan and quoted Deuteronomy 6 in verse 13. And he said, for it, uh, in verse number 10, he says, uh, For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Right, it's not right for me to worship you. You need to worship the Lord thy God only. Now, as we think on these things, Satan is tempting him now to take shortcuts. Now, the devil does the same thing for us. You know, to just, it won't hurt anything. Go ahead and do this. It'll be okay. And he tries to get us to do things that we try to justify, but it's not right. God wants us to obey and to do what he wants and do his word. And Jesus was very strong about this, and he refused. And each time he quoted scripture. Now, it's interesting. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I don't have a whole pile of verses memorized out of Deuteronomy. I've got a few, but I, you know, not a, lots of them. And Jude, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. And the, an interesting thing there. But it was the word of God that he used against the devil. Now, Satan wanted to spoil God's purpose for the incarnation by getting Jesus to sin. And Satan will often tempt us to yield to selfishness. And he will tempt us to show off in prideful ways, and he will tempt us to rob God of his glory. And he will tempt us then to take shortcuts and to get, to get ahead by causing us to miss God's best for our lives. See, we need to do what God wants and, and follow God and be careful that we don't follow the devil and listen to his lies. Because the devil is out to deceive us and he is our enemy, just like he was in, in Jesus' day. And then we find a third time that Jesus, uh, that, that uh, Satan caused Judas to betray Jesus. This time we're over in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, a few books over. John chapter 13, and look with me at verse number 3. John chapter 13, and verse number, sorry, verse number 2. Verse number 2. And the supper being ended, the devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The devil put it in uh, Judas' heart to betray Jesus. Now, Satan moved Judas to do this. And once again, we see that Satan was limited in his understanding. You stop and think about that. As I pondered that, I thought, why would Judas, or why would Satan tempt Judas to betray Jesus if Satan knew that by betraying Jesus, that he was actually sending him to the cross that was going to pay for our sin? You'd think, no, he'd say, no, let's not do that. 
That's not going to serve my purpose. But somehow, we find here that uh, Satan either didn't know these details or God limited his ability in these areas. And it's a good thing for us to remember that. Now, Satan put this betrayal in Judas' heart. And though Judas had followed Christ as one of his 12 disciples for over three years, it seems that none of the disciples suspected him. None of the others said, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. They didn't all look over at Judas and say, well, it's going to be him. No, what did they do? They said, Lord, is it me? Would I do that? Is it me? None of them suspected Judas. And yet Judas wasn't even a believer. He was a fraud. And, you know, that just is a, is a thought-provoking thing for us to ponder. Remember what Jesus said over in Matthew 7? Matthew 7, Jesus said in verse 21 to 23, He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And he said that there's going to be a lot of people on Judgment Day that claim to know Christ that don't. And they're going to miss heaven. It's going to be sad. And Judas was one of those who was a hypocrite. And he claimed to be one of them. But he turned out to be the betrayer. And Satan put those evil thoughts to betray Judas in his heart. And then we find down in verse number 27 of the same chapter, John 13, verse number 27, says, And after the sup, uh, Satan entered into him. And uh, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. So now, before Satan put it in his heart, now it says that Satan entered into him. Because the Spirit of God indwells every true believer, I do not believe that the devil can possess or enter into a true Christian. Now, the devil can oppress us, but there's a difference between oppression and possession. Oppression is when he harasses us and and he just... He can make you so overwhelmed and so depressed and discouraged and defeated feeling. But he can't live inside of you and control you if you know Christ your Savior because the Spirit of God is not going to share your heart with him. And so the devil here goes inside of Judas. And Judas, an unbeliever in rebellion against God, opened the door for Satan to enter into his heart. That's a dangerous thing. A lot of the young people in our world today that are dabbling in witchcraft, it's a dangerous thing. And sadly, you know, we, we need to help the other young parents to understand that the, there's so much witchcraft in the cartoons and the things of that nature that are, are extremely dangerous. Even though it's presented as like, oh, no big deal, it's just a bunch of cartoons, who cares? But it is dangerous because it is... It is taming down their feelings toward the devil and making them think that the devil's no big deal and it's not, nothing bad and it'll be okay and witchcraft and shaman, shamans and witches and all that kind of it's just kind of fun and heaven it's, it's a fun thing to do but it's very very dangerous and the devil is doing those things to undermine and so we need to be very careful that we understand this and be a help to others to understand this now even in this we see here that that God is able to turn things around, 
to fulfill his plan. Now, Satan entered into Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. And Jesus uh, went to the cross. But God used all that for his glory. Now, that can be an encouragement to us. By no means does God want us to do wrong. But when we fail and we do wrong, if we will confess our wrong to God and get right with Him, God can turn around things and still use it for His glory if we will be willing to admit our wrong and confess our sin and do what's right. God can still use us. Maybe not in the exact same way that He would have used us, but He it doesn't throw us away if we will confess our sin and He will forgive us and allow us to serve Him in some way capacity for his glory. Now, this evening we've seen here three events where Satan tried to mess up God's purpose of the incarnation. He tried to work through Herod to kill baby Jesus. And he tried to tempt Jesus to sin so that he couldn't go to the cross. And then he tried to use use Judas to betray Jesus. And to try to foil him and to try to get rid of Jesus, not knowing Evidently, that it was playing right into the plan of God. And so God was in control of all these things, and God met the need. Now, one thing that's important for us to remember, a great verse that came to my mind as I pondered all this and thought, how do we tie this all together? 1 John 4, 4. says there, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the devil has great power. His demons have great power. Far more power than we have. And yet, God is in control. And God lives in us as Christians. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when the devil tries to get us down, we need to immediately run to God. And what did he say to do? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves over to God. That refers to yielding to the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, If we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of flesh. John, uh, Romans 8, or sorry, Romans uh, 6 talks about uh, not yielding ourselves to, to sin, but yielding ourselves unto God. And if we'll yield to God, God says that then He will give us strength so that we will then be able to resist the devil and He will flee from us. And we need that. We need that assurance. So keep that in mind, and it can be an encouragement and a help to us. That Satan tried to foil God's plans, and God overcome. God overcame him, defeated him, and one day Satan will be defeated permanently. And we can be on the victor side through Christ.